0: I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Does God ever seem distant to you? Well, no matter how you feel, God is real. To mature your friendship, God will test it with periods of seeming separation, times when it feels as if He has abandoned or forgotten you. But God doesn't leave you. He has promised repeatedly, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God admits that sometimes he hides his face from us. This is a normal part of the testing and maturing of your friendship with God. Job said, I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I turn to the south, but I cannot find him. But he knows where I am going. And when he has tested me like gold in a fire, he will pronounce me innocent. Now tell me, how do you praise God when you don't understand what's happening in your life and God is silent? you do what Job did. Tell God exactly how you feel. I can't be quiet, said Job. I am angry and bitter. I have to speak. This sounds like a contradiction. I trust God, but I'm wiped out. Regardless of circumstances and how you feel, hang on to God's unchanging character. He is good and loving. He is all-powerful. He notices every detail of my life. He is in control. He will save me. Circumstances cannot change the character of God. Trust God to keep his promises and remember what God has already done for you. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Leonard Blair shows you how to trust in God with a reminder to remember his promise to you, I will never leave you. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. You are well, healthy, keeping busy, I trust?
1: Well, I am, but of course we're all living under the shadow of this uh, quarantine, this um inability to conduct our lives in a normal manner. And um, well, let's put it this way. I thought originally that uh, I wouldn't have much to do, but actually because being closed in and everything canceled, but actually there's quite a bit and much of it is positive. You know, we're trying our best as everybody's trying to yeah. reach out to be in communication with other people, but it is challenging. You know, I, uh, I really feel for families uh, with kids uh, who are home with no school and, and people who are very frustrated and, and face financial and other challenges because of what's happening, uncertainty, not only about illness, but about even their livelihood and their, their funds and everything. It's a great, uh, this is a great time that we need to pray and, and support one another as best we can. I know it sounds trite sometimes when they say, we're all in this together and we'll get through it together, but it is true, not only materially, but also spiritually.
0: And the same and, feelings uh, that you're having, the same feelings that I'm having, we're all having.
1: Yes, because we don't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, things apparently, as we make this recording today, things are leveling off uh, with the hospitals and such, but the threat of the t- disease seems to be one that will persist, you know, for that reason. It's not just going to go away immediately, uh, apparently, and not until a vaccine is developed, and that could take some time. So, you know, it's very interesting Um my old home uh, Archdiocese of Detroit, uh, the Archbishop there sent me from the historical archive what happened in uh, an Arch, well at that time it was just a Diocese of Detroit back in 1918 with the great flu epidemic. Similarly back then, all church services were were canceled by order of the governor and some of the clergy in these reports back then even went to the governor and appealed but he would not change the decision back then uh, and of course, that was a very severe thing that afflicted the, the, the whole world as a as pandemic as, as we're experiencing now. But uh, at that time, the new Bishop of Detroit was coming to be installed, and all the uh, ceremonies, everything had to be postponed. But uh, interestingly, it says that back when this happened in 1918, the great influenza epidemic that it lingered on through 1919 and even 1920, not as bad, but it was still present. And now, maybe not surprisingly, we're hearing that the same thing will happen now, that uh, until there's really an effective vaccine, there are going to be pockets of this arising uh, for a while. And, of course, that makes things very iffy, doesn't it, Uh, about people traveling, gathering, going to school, getting together to work so it's a huge cross and a huge challenge, and uh, we have to support one another and say our prayers and do the best we can.
0: And it's certainly going to take a long time for us to recover from this. I know that you've been having some Zoom conference meetings with active priests of the Archdiocese of Hartford, asking them to share their experiences and their ideas for ministry at this particular time. What have you learned? How are our priests doing? What, what's happening?
1: Well, yes. First of all, let me make a general comment that one of the things we have now that certainly they didn't have with the last pandemic uh, in 1918, we have this tremendous means of communication among us, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a real uh, lifesaver in many respects, literally. Uh, And so our listeners uh, will know that thanks to this radio program and all that you're doing uh, with radio and television – We've been able to uh, be in communication, but there's also the internet and the live streaming. And I have to tell you that I find from our priests that they are making, many of them, a very valiant effort to be in touch with their parishioners, either by enlisting their parish staffs uh, to call uh, parishioners, especially the elderly, and just to say hello to see how they're doing, by live streaming masses and meetings. So there's a lot of activity uh, going on. Remotely, through mm-hmm. communications, and I hope our listeners will <clears throat> avail themselves either by going to the archdiocesan website where you can find a host of things and links by going uh, looking at up your own parish, also uh, WJmJ I know you have a, a website uh, you have the ability to reach people that way, so I hope that people will take advantage of that uh, because it's very important, but getting back to the priests. I I have had a series of Zoom conferences, whereby it's audio and visual, and I've done it by each of the deaneries, so we do one deanery at a time. I can speak to the priests, giving them some updates about things, and they can also uh, ask questions or make comments of their own. So I think that's a very good, the participation's been very good, and I think the priests appreciate seeing and talking not only with, with me, and the people here in the archdiocese, but also with one another. But I get the general report from them is that they're, they're doing well, but we all live under this cloud, this apprehension about when this is going to end and about managing in the meantime.
0: I know one of the questions that you've asked in a, in a survey that was sent out was what was their biggest challenges that they face these days? Uh, what kind of responses have you heard from them?
1: Well, I think they're both spiritual and material. Uh, the spiritual challenge, of course, is none of us likes to just say Mass alone uh, every mm-hmm. day and to be totally deprived, as we all are, not just priests, of the normal uh, life that we have um, and to be isolated. You know, most of our priests live alone in a rectory, there's not more than one priest. And so there's a certain isolation that's very difficult. Uh, Also, we have to acknowledge we we live in the the world, and uh, they are also concerned about administrative matters, you know. What about uh, how are they going to support the life of the parish? How are they going without people uh, uh, contributing? uh, I mean, they have pastors have responsibility to their employees, too. Uh, They have responsibilities for a parish plant, some of them with a school. Now, some parishes have successfully applied for these PPP funds uh, from the federal government. Uh, That's a big help. Uh, We have, in the Archdiocese, issued a plan for employees and such to to help uh, people get through uh, this uh, crisis. But that weighs on all of us, you know, and and it weighs even more on, you know, parents and and families uh, about their work and their income. So we all are in this together. We all have the same kinds of concerns, both spiritual and material.
0: And I know that we have made a plea, I've made a personal plea, both on television and on radio, for parishioners not to forget their their uh, responsibility to their parish. This only adds to the worries and the, the concern that priests have for their employees, but also for the running of the parish and the maintenance of the parish as well. Many
1: of our parishioners have their own financial shortfalls now that make it Uh, difficult for them to contribute. They're worried about their own well-being. And I I would just say that uh, for those people who do not have that uh, difficulty, uh, yes, that's important not to forget your parish. But obviously our main concern is not uh, financial. Our main concern is spiritual. I think all of us are concerned about whether people, uh, you know, being away from church and mass for a while might not drift away from the practice of their faith. I have to hope and pray uh, that this will not be the case. Uh, in fact, I would hope that it would be the opposite, that maybe people will appreciate even more uh, the uh, their life of faith and spiritual things. But in these matters, you never quite know uh, what's going to happen. So we just have to hope and also pray for the
0: best. It's interesting that you mention that because Bishop Thomas Tobin of the Diocese of Providence, Rhode Island, Uh, is encouraging Catholics to develop plans for evangelization. The bishop wonders, and this is a quote, he says, When our churches reopen for public worship, will the faithful have grown accustomed to watching the Mass on TV or online and think that it's not necessary to attend in person? Or will they have missed the sense of community, their parish family, and realize that virtual participation can never replace the grace of being personally present? So Bishop Tobin is, is asking for some evangelization plans to be developed so that we can re-encourage our people to to come back to church
1: well certainly and of course evangelization is on everybody's lips at least those of us in leadership in the church has been for years about uh you know being evangelized missionary discipleship i mean it's the whole theme of the synod that we are engaged in even though that synod now has kind of had to be uh, put on the back burner a little bit under the circumstances but evangelization and witnessing and inviting people to participate in the life of the church uh, beginning with our own circle of people is uh, always very important Um, but of course you know there are a lot of virtual things in the world that are but but you can't virtually receive the Lord uh, uh, the Lord's body and blood in the Holy Eucharist you have to be there for that Uh, you know it's not just um, a virtual experience it's a real experience but Personally, I you know we're all in God's hands. I don't think we should be panicking about anything. Uh, we should uh, just try, do our very best to uh, keep uh, the people in our embrace by our communications with our parishioners, by giving them spiritual uh, comfort and consolation, and uh, you know uh, doing what we can. And I think if, forgive me if I'm repeating what I said in a past program because sometimes I don't remember if I've already covered something. But, you know, we do have uh, in the Archdiocese a number of uh, full-time hospital chaplains that are working uh, very hard, you know, to to, to minister to the the people there. They're in a professional situation as full-time where they have the training, the protective gear, and they are part of the hospital staff, really. Uh, But for those um, who are not in that situation, we still want to uh, assure them of our prayers and whatever we can do for them.
0: Let's transition, Archbishop, into talking somewhat about what's going to be happening this coming week. For instance, Tuesday is what's being called Pay It Forward Day. It's a great time to start a habit of putting good things out into the world. When someone does something nice for you, you may feel inclined to pay it back, to do something nice in return. This is paying it forward, however. Do something nice for someone without them having done something nice for you. Now, during these times of social distancing, Archbishop, do you have any ideas on how we can pay it forward?
1: Well, yes, I think, um, you know, we. I talked a moment ago about the fact that our parishes, many of them are calling their parishioners, especially the elderly, just to say hello and see how they're doing. Well, you don't have to have just a parish do that. I would say to our listeners, think of the people that might appreciate hearing from you in this mm-hmm. uh, isolated situation Call them up, say hello, ask how they're doing, and don't be afraid to say that you'll say a prayer for them. I, I think those kinds of things we can, we can all do. I do know, too, that uh, when it comes to, uh, for those who can afford to do it right now, uh, charitable acts, you know, there are a lot of uh, uh, charitable institutions and activities that uh, are really struggling uh, because uh, things are the normal course of things is interrupted. So maybe you can, you know, again, the online is a world that you can discover uh, for ways uh, to do this. Obviously, I would recommend starting with, with the, the archdiocese, with Catholic charities, with uh, the, the things that our church is trying to do to help people. Uh, but, you know, uh, God's love extends just uh, not, is not confined to the church. Um, good causes that help people are, are worthy of uh, our consideration
0: and there are a lot of people that are hungry now we've seen lines of cars waiting in in various food distribution pantries a lot of people going hungry at this time there are so many things that people are doing reaching out to one another people making for instance masks and and the proceeds of those masks being uh, donated to a soup kitchen a lot of good people doing good things really paying it forward
1: Yes, and you know, uh, uh, the Archbishop's Annual Appeals provides a uh, uh, million dollars a year to these two, 226, I think it is, local charities, uh, many of which uh, are food banks and, and and soup kitchens and such. And uh, I understand that, th- that these places are finding ways to uh, practice social distancing and still provide those services, although it's hard and challenging. But I know that they need, um, a lot of their ordinary means of getting uh, food and such are, are hampered now. So uh, in, our, in our local communities, if there are ways to look into that and to check it out, that would be a way that people can also help.
0: Friday is the 1st of May, also the start of what's called Global Civility Awareness Month. How imperative is it that we do our best to be kind to one another, especially now during the coronavirus crisis?
1: Well, that leads us to uh, the word civility, of course, and I don't want to belabor this because it's a theme that I often mention and that we all hear about, and that is that we are becoming a very uncivil society with this rancor and anger and division, divisiveness constantly among us, uh, and a lack of civil discourse uh, uh, in the way we treat and speak to one another and about one another. So obviously, we need uh, very much to do that. Maybe this pandemic, although we see signs of that kind of divisiveness even now, but maybe this uh, misery and uh, challenge that we face can bring people together more charitably and civilly uh, with one another. I'd also mention, you know, May May 1st is on the church calendar an optional memorial of St. Joseph the Workman. Uh, In some countries, that's their Labor Day. So Mm -hmm. St. Joseph, it fits, you know, St. Joseph, patron of workers. In the United States, we have our own Labor Day in September, so we don't um, make as much of uh, May 1st uh, with St. Joseph there. It's just an optional memorial. But I have a little bit of news. The bishops of the United States, we want to uh, reconsecrate our country to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And it looks like uh, on May 1st, uh, at least tentatively, the plan is for... Uh, Archbishop Gomez the, uh, of Los Angeles, the president of our conference, to kind of lead a prayer in communion with all the bishops of the country uh, of um, reconsecrating the United States of America to the Blessed Virgin Mary at this time of pandemic. You know, the, over these uh, years, the centuries really, the, the bishops have from time to time uh, made such a consecration, and it looks like we will be doing that uh, at the beginning of May.
0: And do you think that that will be something that's done publicly by way of the, the internet, perhaps?
1: Oh, yes, sir, certainly, yeah, it will, it will be. Okay.
0: Let's take a look at our Gospel reading on this third Sunday of Easter, the 26th day of April. Today's Gospel is taken from Luke, the 24th chapter, Archbishop. After we hear this Gospel dramatically presented, then we'll talk with you about your thoughts.
2: That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emers, about seven miles from Jerusalem
3: are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered Him up to be condemned to death and crucified Him. But we had hoped that He was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since this happened. Moreover, Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Oh, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into
1: his glory.
2: And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He appeared to be going further, but they constrained him.
3: Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent.
2: So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished out of their sight. They said to each other,
3: Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures?
2: They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, And they found the eleven gathered together, and those who were with them.
3: The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon.
2: Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread.
0: Archbishop, this is the famous On the Road to Emmaus account. What strikes you about this gospel account?
1: Well, we can be grateful to the evangelist, St. Luke, for providing this particular Uh, episode uh, in the post-resurrectional accounts of the Gospel. It's such an amazing thing because it's really making the transition uh, from the earthly life of Christ uh, to His risen life and our communion with Him. Uh, Because, uh, to put it in a nutshell, these two disciples, at first, uh, uh, Christ remains veiled. His true presence remains veiled to to them their eyes are only opened and they really encounter him as Christ would wants it to be uh, through his ex- explanation to them of the scriptures regarding himself and in the breaking of the bread. And of course, the breaking of the bread is the earliest of, uh, description uh, of the Holy Eucharist. So we're really talking about the Mass. We're talking mm. about the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. And it's precisely... In uh, the Word of Christ being opened up to these two disciples by his own explanation and then the breaking of the bread that he vanishes from their sight at that moment that uh, they encounter Christ and that's what we do every time we go to Mass it's exactly the same thing Uh, it's we're not just reading a history book when we hear the scriptures but at Mass Christ is speaking to us with the power of the Holy Spirit and also through the power of the Holy Spirit what was bread and wine becomes the very body and blood of Christ. So that's where we meet the risen Lord. And getting back to our previous conversation about Mass attendance, you know, and about people not being able to go to Mass and reopening, as helpful as uh, broadcast or streaming can be, nothing can replace our actual presence at at, the Holy Eucharist uh, and our reception of our Lord in that way.
0: True, true. Only those who have held high hopes can know the meaning of bitter despair. That's why I feel such deep sympathy for these two disciples. It's obvious that as they walked along, they were serious, they were solemn, they were sad. We were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel, but now he's dead. And what's more, they can't find his body. Does this tell us anything about our own sense of despair today and how Jesus can enter into it to totally shock us out of it?
1: Well, yes, Jesus says to the two of them, he says, oh, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophet spoke. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And I think, uh, you know, that's something that Jesus says, says to each of us in some way at some time. How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe. You know, especially in the face of, the, of suffering. They were so disillusioned because this Jesus, who seemed to be such a promising person, winds up being crucified uh, in the most vile manner and killed. And Jesus is saying, how foolish you are. If only you understood the scriptures, you would see that all of these things were foreordained, that they were God's way of overcoming sin and death. And then they begin to have a change of heart. And the beautiful line, you know, stay with us for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. And uh, isn't that uh, something that ought to be the prayer of our own hearts many times? Uh, Lord Jesus, stay with us for it's nearly o- evening and the day is almost over they talk about their hearts burning within them when jesus spoke to them of the scriptures and and of course when they encountered him in the eucharist would that we retained that kind of fire within us by uh, our active participation at mass not just sitting there passively and hearing and receiving these things but making it our own by our own zeal to know and our own interior prayer mass is everything and this uh, this road to emmaus uh, account in luke uh, uh, is really the, uh, the model of uh, Christian life and of our relationship to Jesus Christ.
0: I, I think that this gospel is so appropriate for what we're going through today in our world. You know, how many people are depressed? How many people are very despondent because of uh, the loss of a job or because of the fact that they're home and they're self-isolating? People are so down and despondent. And here comes Jesus into their midst, and they recognize him. There's much more hope. And I think when we recognize that Jesus walks with us today, through this pandemic crisis, there will be hope.
1: Well, there's always hope, of course, and we're going to get through this. Uh, The world has been visited by horrible disasters uh, throughout history. Uh, It's a test of our faith. It's a test of our character. And we we have to be compassionate toward the weak and suffering and the troubled. But yes, we, we, we will get through this with God's help and by our... Uh, cooperation in helping and working with one another.
0: Let's take a look quickly at a couple of questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Luann from Avon says, My son and daughter-in-law had planned to baptize my granddaughter in the summer. If churches are not open by then, can they still schedule the baptism if only a handful of people are in attendance?
1: Well, Luann, you're raising a question that I have to ask, too. You know, is there, it's, I think it's becoming clear that reopening uh, churches for liturgy and for ceremonies, uh, it looks like it's not just going to be that, you know, on a certain date, we can all just go back to the way we were. There will have to be precautions in place for a time. I would say, yeah, I suppose that uh, once we can do that again, uh, then it will be possible. But we'll have to practice certain distancing and those kind of things, probably. I would think that baptisms, uh, by the summer, should be back in place, because even now, we could have certain services with few people present, uh, so we'll just have to see as we, we go back uh, whether, uh, when, when that can happen. But um, I, I don't want to give false hope or, or, or mislead people by my answer, but I would hope that by the summer, certainly, a more uh, limited ceremony like a baptism. Uh, it could take place, and certainly by then I am hoping and, and expecting that we will be able to uh, reintroduce Masses, uh, at least in some way, with precautions of some kind.
0: Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time. Can you close our program with a prayer and a blessing?
1: Lord God, uh, just as the disciples on the road to Amos were not immediately aware of your presence until their minds and hearts were opened uh, by the Scriptures and the Eucharist, So too, as we walk uh, the path of life in the world today, we know that you are there accompanying us. And we pray that by our faith and prayer, by our participation in the sacraments, once they are made available to us again, that we will be people of deep faith and that we will be true brothers and sisters to one another in facing the challenges of the pandemic and of our times. We ask you, Lord, to bless us in our efforts and all those who are uh, in difficulty, who are sick or suffering, uncertain, worried, troubled, and to bless them and their families. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week. In the meantime, stay safe and healthy. You too, thank you.